Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Jim Mascara. Jim is the Vice President of Corporate Development with Alliance Advisors, and he has a passion for the future of money, don't we all? Is there more money in my future, Jim? Well, there's always money in the future. <laughs> Just depends on how much, right? That's a good thing. <laughs> so, so, so you and I met at a TEDx event, um, an audition, and you talked about the future of money. And of course, this is an incredibly awesome. I'm curious. Tell me. You know, money drives so many things um, socially, politically, economically, obviously. And I think in ways that people don't really realize. Uh, when I wrote my first book in 2010, it was called Escaping, in the Escaping Oz series. Uh, one of the first things I talked about was money, you know, what it is, uh, what it represents, how it came about, and more importantly, how it's evolved over time. And it's evolved in ways that people uh, really can't conceive and really can't conceive of the impacts that it's had, you know, on their lives, you know, with personal, financial, social, and especially more and more political. And, and it's very, very difficult for people to draw that, those connections, you know, and to see how, it, how money impacts those things. And of course, you know, we know how these other facets, you know, political, social impacts impact our lives, right? Right. And uh, when I talked about the future of money, I'm talking about a fundamental change in how we understand money and what money actually is. Uh, you know, we've gotten used to seeing money as those green pieces of paper in our pocket, uh, maybe some coins, uh, maybe those uh, representations that are plastic cards that we have in our wallet as well. You know, what if the future of money looks different than that? And so that that's really what the, the, the main topic about, you know, the future of money. Okay. So, when you're talking about the future of money, are, is part of it cryptocurrency? Because that's a whole like, what is, what's that going to look like as we move forward? Yeah. And and when people think about cryptocurrency, they think, okay, well, this is digital money of some sort. Right. Uh, the counter argument to that is, well, digital money has already existed. Uh, you know, when, when, and I tell young people this, I said, you know, how many of you actually carry around physical currency in your pocket, you know, those green pieces of paper, you know, and very few do. Yeah. You know, a lot of them, you know, if I had my, my cell phone with me, I'd say, okay, well, here, here's what my money represents, right? right? I've got something here and I'm cash apping or I'm using Zelle or some other medium like that. The difference is, and, and this is a really important uh, concept for your readers to understand, is there's a difference between centralized money and decentralized money. And when people talk about cryptocurrencies, more generically, and, and, and people think of things like Bitcoin, now that is decentralized money. And, and that's really a game changer because everything that we've had to date, especially in that transition to digital money. So let, let's take a quick step back. Okay. You know, when you talk about the evolution of money, you know, back in ancient times, you know, you may have had things like seashells, uh, feathers, um, you know, things like that, that rep represented money. And so in other words, uh, it, it, it was the medium of exchange as an example. Um, so why do we need a medium of exchange? Because if you have this society, you know, and let's say you produce oranges and I produce bananas, if, if we have to make these the exchanges are like, okay, you give me three oranges and I'll give you three bananas and maybe tomorrow, you know, it becomes much more cumbersome to do things like that. And then if, you know, we've got neighbors that they produce different things or they do services, imagine how cumbersome and complicated that would be if we didn't have money for us to li live our lives, right? right? And exchange goods and services. So money became that medium of exchange. And money, money has some very interesting properties about it. 
And so what happened over time was, is that, you know, we eventually found some forms of money um, that met, you know, the criteria of what money really needs to be. Um, it's a medium exchange. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a form of wealth. Uh, it's a unit of account and so forth. Now, how did money originally get represented? Well, you see like gold and silver coins, you know, you've seen that, you know, ancient empires, you know, they, right. they had those things, right? right? Um, then over time, uh, there was the uh, evolution of paper money, which, you know, had its own problems because the paper wasn't actually gold and silver, right? It was, uh, it re represented that, right? right? Um, and then over the course of time, you know, money really, really changed. And, and so we talked earlier about digital money, you know, digital money are things that don't exist in that physical medium. So we, we, it's not tangible. We don't touch it, but it, it resides on a ledger somewhere in, in, let's say a bank balance sheet. Right? Okay. And so when we talk about money today, it is sitting in the banking system somewhere. Right. Okay? Uh, if I have bank at, or excuse me, if I have money at bank A and you have money at bank B, that's where it physically resides. It, 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 it doesn't physically exist until you go somewhere and then you take out the cash right. or the coins that, you know, that, that representation. But otherwise, it's, it sits in this uh, ether out there, right? You know, for many of us, it's the internet. Uh, and that's the representation of the money. When we talk about decentralized money, uh, that money no longer sits in some central bank ledger. It's basically, let's just say, out there in the internet, for lack right. of a better term. Right. And, and more importantly, it's represented not just in one location, but it's represented in potentially thousands of locations. And why is that important is because, you know, imagine if your bank got hacked, okay? Now, granted, banks have backup mechanisms and so forth, but let's say right. there was something a little bit more catastrophic. Then you went to the ATM and the ATM said, uh, well, Ms. Hancock, you don't, you don't, you don't have any balance here. You would be in a panic. Yes, I would <laughs> cry and freak out. Yes, you would be in a panic. <laughs> so imagine if you know you had a more hardened system where that that ledger, if you will, wasn't just in one central location, which is Bank A, but it was represented in again thousands of locations, right? Not just in the United States, but potentially all over the world, and existing on the internet. You know, that's a much more resilient form of money than right. we have presently. Now you can, and you can get into more things about you know, how money gets created and so forth. Right. So it, this is really mind-blowing stuff. I love that you're here and you can explain all this to us. So for the future then, do you see it going more toward this decentralized thing? Yeah, that's where it, we're going. That's a that's a great uh, great question, and uh, I I conduct actually some seminars on this. And one of the things I talk about is okay, so let's say we're moving to this next phase of money. Okay, you know what does the future look like for that? And we talked about that this is the the money that I described now is decentralized money, right? But, you know, as you can imagine, you know, the uh, government authorities are loath to give up, you exactly. know, control you know, exactly. like, of things like money supply, work, how know? the money comes into creation and so forth, and which is a whole other topic. Very, you and know, and that's another important topic for banks, too. Right. So, so what you're going to see in the future is, uh, and, and, it's, and it's interesting that we're talking about this because this concept of, you know, authority versus liberty uh, is resonant throughout my nonfiction books. But it's also very, very central theme to my fictional books, which are political thrillers. So, okay. so let's let's deconstruct that a little bit. So what's happening right now is, you know, you you have um, by virtue of um, a, a branch of mathematics called cryptography that okay, we were able to create this other money. It's decentralized, and more importantly, everybody trusts. That's an incredibly important point. If you don't trust, you don't have confidence, right? Right. 
then you that becomes useless. So right. if I if I throw you know a piece of Monopoly money out here, right? So for those of us that know what Monopoly is, right? You know, and I say, well, Mish, there's a hundred. Or you're I'd like a hundred, hundred what? Gee, thanks, Jim. <laughs> right? <laughs> so you don't have any confidence in that, right? Right. So when I pull the the, the hundred out, you know, and you see the picture of Benjamin Franklin on there, you're like, oh, okay, it looks you know it looks authentic. And if you really right. wanted to get down to it, you know, you could put it up in the air. You could see the security strip, you know, and they've got the uh, the blue lights or whatever. Oh, that, it's crazy right? all the stuff that they do now. Right. I mean, yeah, like, I get it, if you ever, right? if you ever go somewhere and, and you give a hundred dollar bill, you know, one of the th things they'll do, they may put it up to light, they'll scan it real quick, make sure. So yeah. they trust it, right? right? So if you're going into the digital world and you have to have something that you trust, well, some of these cryptocurrencies that are out there right now, they are trust, people trust them, right? right? Even though there's no central authority that says, oh, you need to trust this because we've stamped, you know, uh, this, this, uh, this piece of paper that you're seeing here is certified by us, you know, was created by us, you know, et cetera. So the future is going to be that clash between the decentralized version of money and then the centralized version of money, right? Yep. So what's the centralized version of money? As, as I talk about in one of the seminars, the centralized version of money right now that is emerging is called central bank digital currencies, which basically are pieces of purely digital money, okay? that exist in the central bank. So for us, it would be the Federal Reserve Bank, right? Right. That's where it exists. Um, what's important about that is, is, okay, that now is not decentralized. It's centralized in one location. And it brings to mind uh, a number of other, uh, let's say, social and political concerns. For example, um, one of the predictions I made, uh, I was giving a talk at the Missouri Athletic Club last May, I think. I said, you know, one of the first examples that you're going to see the introduction of these central bank digital currencies is going to be in China during the Winter Olympics the following year, okay? And because you're going to go to China and you're going to be in the Olympic Village and they're going to say, okay, the only forms of payment that are acceptable here are A, B, and C. I think one of them was like uh, maybe I think like a Visa card, but okay. the other was, you know, this central bank digital currency that, that China has available now. And the issue with that is imagine a society where, you know, you're using money that's centralized and government controlled, but since it's digital and it only exists in the digital realm. And, and when I say that, when I talk about digital money, I'm saying it only exists in the digital realm. And let's contrast that between the digital money that we think now, which is like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm using my cash app, Zelle, whatever. Right. But I can always translate that into some into sort of actual, paper. actual, like I can go to the bank and yes, say, I got this much money in here and I want my, yeah, you know, you're gonna get X some amount of money. Yeah, yeah, you're going to get some physical form. money back. Right. And when you move to a digital, purely digital currency, that does no longer exist. Right. Okay? It only exists in the, in the digital form. So what happens is, imagine you've got this central bank digital currency and, um, the authorities say, okay, I see that you purchased, you know, something at the liquor store and it was after midnight on Friday, you know, whatever date. Uh, you know, we frown on that. You know, uh, I see that you went ah. into this uh, location that maybe we don't. I see that you made a donation to a political uh, cause or party that, you know, we frankly frown upon. So when that happens and you get into what's called social credit scoring, right? So in other words, I'm evaluating your, um, your social behavior 
uh, on the basis of maybe politics, religion, whatever it is, right? So now all of a sudden, I don't really necessarily have control or I have to worry or be concerned about how I'm conducting my transactions because now they're all being kept in the centralized digital ledger by, you know, by a central bank, potentially. Again, this, these are all some things that are in development. Okay. Uh, the decentralized version of that says, okay, I've got my digital wallet and I'm spending, you know, whatever it is with different merchants. Um, all of these things, by the way, are recorded in this ledger, well, right. right? But it doesn't, but there's no arbiter that's there. You know, you were talking earlier about being in so LinkedIn it's jail. It's not all in one place. Yeah. <laughs> you talk about Wait, LinkedIn jail. I, but I was in LinkedIn jail yeah. because we were awesome. Right. Not because I was doing anything bad. <laughs> so, 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 imagine, <laughs> so imagine that, you know, you had an opportunity to be in whatever jail all the time because someone in, in a position of central authority didn't like what you were doing. That's the difference Ooh, between centralized money. Oh, that's scary. Because, well, it's I mean, apocalyptic in some sense. Well, right, because <laughs> like now, I mean, you know, so like now if somebody was like, okay, she's got this this card. Wow, Mish goes to TJ Maxx a lot. And then, you know, and then, oh, and she she goes, she shops at this particular, you know, grocery store or whatever. Like they, there's not like one person that can get that full picture of me. But you're saying with the, the decentralized No, thing. with the centralized. With the central, yes. okay, that's full C picture. Central bank digital, It's yeah, it's a good, good way to put it. It's, okay. It's, it's full picture of your activities. Those things are being ledgered. And again, more importantly, there's someone potentially in, in pos position of authority that's looking at that. I mean, again, let, let's go back to the centralization that we see today with some of our social media companies. Right. You've heard of people being in Facebook jail. Yep. You've heard of people being in, um, well, LinkedIn, LinkedIn jail, right? jail. Well, right. guess what? There's also something called PayPal jail, right? And, and PayPal enacted something this past weekend. They walked it back sort of, which basically says, you know, if we don't like, you know, something that you're doing, like, let's say you made a payment to Whomever, right? Because PayPal is kind of this universal payment mechanism, right? right? Yeah. So in, in the past, they might have said, "Okay, well, we're going to um, we're going to close your account, or we'll put you in PayPal jail for whatever amount of time." Again, that's some central arbiter of that decision making capability that says, "Okay, we have the ability to do that." Now, here's PayPal took it one step further, and this is why there was this outcry in the last, well, really in the last day or so, which was they said, "Okay, well now." Um, instead of, you know, you being in PayPal jail, we're going to fine you, <laughs> you know, we're really? going to fine you up to $2,500 per incident if something like, if we decide, you know, you violated uh, acceptable use policy, AUP, on all of these conditions. Now, well, think about that for a second. So imagine you have $2,500 in your PayPal account. PayPal didn't like what you did. Okay, we're going to ban you, and we're going to we're going what to re, we're going they to like that you do. Like if they think you're up to buying drugs or something. I actually like I that actually or... did a post on uh, LinkedIn <laughs> yesterday, which kind of talked about it's just a little excerpt of what their acceptable use policy was. If we don't like that you did X, Y, and Z. Okay. okay. Now here's where it even gets even more nefarious than that, which is you know with PayPal you have a bank account that's linked to that. Right? right. So you might have a balance in your PayPal account, but if you don't, you know, they'll pull it from. They can get so, it right. So, so basically where that gives them some authority to maybe even reach into your bank account to pull that out, all because someone decided, you know, you did the wrong thing. Uh, obviously, it's happened in Twitter. Obviously, it's happened, you know, in LinkedIn, Facebook. We all know that. Right. Um, so it, it's really the same sort of concept, which is, you know, one of the things that I, I want to espouse moving forward is that we really take um, a proactive approach to try to decentralize, you know, creating more of this open source world in a variety right, of areas, right? Right. And so that's the battle. That's the future battle really is 
You've got the decentralized version of digital money. It's not going away. And I know people have wanted to um, call Bitcoin's death many, many times, right? Sure. Or other digital currencies. And again, there were there are many that will not exist, many crypto coins that will not exist, but the technology is already there. And right. we know we know that it's important because now we see governments wanting to copy <laughs> what's there, only to amend it slightly, right? Right. So it, it's more amenable to you know what they want to do. And, you know, and there's that's a whole kind of more of an academic debate about, you know, whether that should happen or not. The central bank digital currency should also be uh, uh, something which just our banks should be kind of concerned about, because imagine if they say, OK, well, your your balance that you have of money, if you will, doesn't exist at Bank of America, PNC and all, it exists over here instead. Well, what's how you know that you sort of potentially disintermediated their role in the entire financial system. Again, more to come on that. I'm I'm just throwing out some ideas right. and things to think about. Uh, but but those things are definitely so extant right now. Okay, yeah. so you're a financial advisor. Sort of, not necessarily. What what <laughs> I are, wear a lot of hats. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, so I mean, do you have clients that what does it look like in your world? Well, I uh, a little bit of background for me. Um, uh, I'm actually, uh, I've got two degrees in engineering, and then I went to work in the telecommunications field. Okay. okay. So then All I right. worked, uh, I, you know, the early part of my career was when what I'll call the internet was being born, you know, in the mid-1990s. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so I really saw the development of all these networks and so forth. Um, but in this, at the same time, I had sort of a parallel interest in, in, in finance and the financial markets. Um, so I did a lot of those things sort of independently. It spawned a lot of um, book writing, if you will. Right. Uh, I wrote for a, a, an online rag called examiner.com, which, you know, for a while there, that was a really fast growing, you know, um, yeah. kind of like eyeball, you know, you got paid based on how many eyeballs you attracted to your page okay. and so forth. And so I did that. And then I left the telecommunications world. I started my own financial consultancy. Um, I'm not a financial advisor like you would normally think, but gotcha. I, but I am, uh, let's just say I'm a student of things, finance, economics, uh, have a very, very good understanding of money. What's interesting, Mish, is that when, when cryptocurrencies first started coming out, it was like this really interesting marriage of my previous career in technology no and all kidding. that. And then my, 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 my sort of career in, in finance and money and yeah. all that. And that's what cryptocurrency is. It's the technology that I, that I grew up with, you know, that I worked with, you know, and, and so forth and helped develop. And now with this other interest. So that, that's where these two things came together. So really probably, I, I mean, I wrote about Bitcoin in my first book in 2010 I talked about it more from the standpoint of this is going to be disruptive, and I didn't go a lot into it. Right. But really, in the last you know five to ten years, it's like you know this this convergence of you know my two backgrounds, if you will, and that's where it's kind of arrived with digital How money. How interesting! Yeah. So, I mean, can you? Is it okay to to ask like, do you have any advice for us, or even if it's just here's what you need to keep your eye on, or this is what you need to educate yourself about right now, because we're at this very interesting place right now with money. You said the word right there. You said educate. Um, one of the things that's uh, very near and dear to my heart, uh, I'm an immigrant uh, to the United States. Okay. Uh, I came here from uh, Republic of Panama many years ago. Okay. Um, and one of the things that was preached to me growing up was that, you know, your dad would not have been able to do a lot of these things unless, because he didn't come from very means, any means whatsoever. But, you know, he studied enough to become a doctor, emigrate to the United States, et cetera, and really give us a better life. Right. right? And so what, 
you know, as my grandma always preached to me, what made that happen, Jim? Or Jaime, as she would call me. <laughs> my first language is Spanish. Okay. You know, she would, you know, she would say it was because your dad studied hard and all that. So that was ingrained in me at a very, very young age. Uh, so naturally, you know, I, I performed well in school um, because it was sort of an expectation, you know, that, yeah, you're going to do well in school and here's why, you know, and whether that was, you know, high school, you know, college or whatever. So education is something very, very near and dear to my heart. And, and one of the things that I see that's lacking in American culture today is education. And I don't mean education from the classical standpoint of, you know, mm -hmm. primary, secondary, post-secondary. It's just kind of more of that general intellectual curiosity about things. Right. You know, people picking up books and reading them and right. learning about things. Yes, I'm going to be incredibly biased and say, you really need to know a lot more about money because that's an interest area of mine and I've written about that, right? So there are some, there are some self-serving comments to be made sure. in there. However, you <laughs> know, when I see all of these different linkages between, you know, what money is today, how it's, how importantly, how it's evolved over time, and I can draw some very clear linkages between that and, you know, politics, economics, social policy, et cetera. It's all there. Trust me, it's all there. And and it's it's difficult sometimes for people to see that. And so in my world, I say, you know, if if we were more educated about that, I think we would be better off as a society. I and, have to and, agree with and, and, you. And let me tell you another reason why that's really, really important. I mean, we have a responsibility every two to four years, you know, to elect people to represent us, you know, and, and whether it's Jefferson City here in Missouri or, you know, Washington, D.C. Right. And the electorate really is quite uneducated about their candidates. And, and you know, the last, oh, couple of elections, you know, regardless of what political party yeah. you affiliate with, you know, we've had some very contentious elections. And, and I always feel very confident in saying that we haven't necessarily had the best candidates that, you know, and particularly in the presidential realm. You can feel confident about that. Very, and, and, yep. and I say that on both sides. Now, and why is that? It's because we, as a society, you know, we have civic responsibilities. We haven't, we haven't kept up with those responsibilities. So we get what we deserve. <laughs> so if we have problems with political parties today, honestly, it's our own fault. And we can't get to that point until we become more educated, uh, not just on civics, right? Right. I mean, I wrote, I, just a quick aside here, a, a book, my last nonfiction book that I wrote, it was called Escaping Oz. You're familiar with, you know, the whole Oz thing. Right, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> personally, right? Right. Uh, it's called An Observer's Reflections. And this person went around into a college campus on Texas, and they were asking some simple questions like, you know, give me the decade in which the Civil War was fought. You know, what, you know, what, what is the constitution? I mean, just these very basic things, right? Right. And, and again, this is on a college campus, a decently known university nationally. And it was a stunning, you know, the, the lack of knowledge, on, uh, you know, the, the answers for some of these questions. But if they ask the question, you know, who, you know, who stars in Jersey Shore? What's the name of, you know, that answer just rolled right, right. off the tongue. Because that's right. What's in front it's, of it's us all the It's popular culture, right? Yeah, And right. so, you know, we've gotten just immersed in a lot of this popular culture to the exclusion then now of, you know, some of the things that we need to really know and kind understand. Kind of a more overarching education exactly. of what's, you know, like the big picture picture yeah. of how, how did we get here today? How did we get here? You yeah. Know? And, and more importantly, how are we going to move into the future? Right. And we've, we know we went through something, you know, starting in 2020 and, and yeah. you know, 2022. And again, wh whatever your thoughts were on, you know, the public policy relating to, uh, you know, a pandemic response for an airborne virus, I can tell you that, you know, we didn't do a good job of 
let's say, capturing the open source knowledge of society on how to solve problems. Exactly. Right? So when so when you tend to centralize more and more and more, those answers that you're looking for, oh, well, they have to come from this little area over here, this institution, this agency, and so forth, right? My, my thought is, you know, that's great that we have those institutions, but open source knowledge can get you much, much further and resolve problems much, much quicker than that degree of centralization. And, and moreover, one of the things I've argued for in my nonfiction books is that over the course of time, our prescription is to focus more on what I'll call local solutions to problems. Because if we abdicate the uh, the solution making to some agency that's a thousand miles away in Washington, D.C., I always say that it's, it's proportional there. The farther away that decision maker is, the worse of an impact it's going to be for you. Because they don't live in your community. Right. They don't know what's exactly. going on, right? But we've given the, a lot of that authority for that to happen. So I'm all about, in fact, maybe that's the good, good title for our next book, which is Decentralize Everything, which, you know, we... We're much better off as society when we tap the knowledge of, right. of everyone, right? It's like a, it's like the hive, right? It, right. It, it's everywhere, right? And that's really what, when we talked earlier about, about the money, the decentralized money is um, really that it's open source money. It's, it doesn't rely on one, you know, either individual institution to make all that happen. So for someone who feels like they're not super um, knowledgeable about money, we're your books are where we should start. <laughs> yeah, self-serving. Though. Am I right? But yeah. no, but I mean, it sounds like you've written about this, like, this is what you guys need to educate yourself. I think it's, so a, you it's, a, it's a place to start. understand what's going on. Yeah. It's a place to start. And the reason I say that also is because uh, from an academic perspective, I don't know that you necessarily get that. You're not going to get that you in don't high get school. It. No, you, you, you don't. You may or may not get that in college. You know, in college you have, you know, microeconomics and macroeconomics, right. but, you know, a lot of it doesn't get back into the, It's not you know, real practical and, and helpful it, in your everyday life. I think so. Yeah. I, I think so. So you're, so you're right. So I, I mean, I would say, obviously, again, self serving texts like mine, you know, that I've written in the Escaping Oz series where you, you really understand, you know, not just about money, but how it impacts, you know, what you're doing, how decisions are made. Um, I so say that's where the, do people go to get your books? Uh, my uh, author site is jimmosquere.com. Okay. Uh, very simple. Uh, J-I-M-M-O-S-Q-U-E-R-A.com. And gotcha. you'll have it in your notes as well. And that's where I've got my fiction books and nonfiction books. Very awesome. Oh my gosh. This is so interesting, Jim. Thank you. So I have some, I, I, I actually have some fun outside of all this questions, just Excellent. to learn more about you as a person. You're not going to ask me the boxers or briefs question, are you? I am not. Okay, good. Okay, we're not going well, there. Well, the answer is <laughs> brief. So. Thank you for, <laughs> for telling those, us. For those that even have any interest at all. But. <laughs> now that you've piqued that curiosity, we've got that going for us. No, I did a little bit of stalking on LinkedIn when I got out of LinkedIn okay. jail. And um, you have a patent for automated telephone services pricing application and a patent filing award to boot. What, tell us about this. So when we talked earlier about, you know, decentralizing things, uh, I worked for a large telecommunications company, a very large telecommunications company, and there was a problem that needed to be solved. Now, if we went through the normal course of like, okay, in order to solve this problem, you're going to have to talk to this department over here, who then has to talk to this other department over here, et cetera, et cetera. When you get in very, very large companies, and I'm talking about a company that I worked for that was a Fortune 15 company, so a very, very large company with lots right. of employees, um, you have a certain structure to it. 
had I gone through that structure to solve this problem, you know, we may still be talking about the development of this thing. And this was many years ago. I, I'm being facetious. But <laughs> but what I did was I said, okay, I've got certain skills that I've developed before, you know, whether from my, you know, just being an engineer, being able to program, you know, a little bit, uh, understanding logic and understanding how to, you know, break down a problem and deconstruct it. Like, let me get together. Uh, and, and I had, you know, enough of a position of authority where I could go into another department and say, hey, can I work with this person and do it? So it was basically me and another person. We got together, uh, we figured out what needed to happen. And so we developed this software application. This is going back a ways. It's not web-based. It was on a right. desktop, you know, so I'm showing my age. Um, and, and we got this thing done very, very quickly. And eventually, you know, it got rolled out to just, I don't know, hundreds of people in the company. And long story short, you know, then I applied for the patent, you know, on behalf of, you know, my employer. My, right. my name was listed, but the patent right. was listed in the name of my employer. And then myself and this other person did it. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. And that, again, that's kind of back to that open source kind of problem resolution. That I, I talked love about it. Yeah. That is so, I, and I was like, wow, a patent. I don't mean many people yeah. would say, you know, oh, I know about that patent. Yeah, stuff. real life patent. And you were also a world traveler. So what's a place that, you found surprising that maybe people don't think about going to, but you think you guys should think about going to this. I'm so glad you asked that question. All right. <laughs> so I have uh, an, somebody that I know that, that ran a, runs a, like a personalized travel agency. Okay. And I asked that person, I said, where do you think most people from the United States, let's just pick Missouri as an example. Have they traveled more to Mexico or have they traveled more to Canada? He said, Jim, there's no, it's not even close you know, 10 to one people have been, you know, to Mexico more right. than Canada. And then when people go to Mexico, they tend to kind of, you know, congregate on, you know, these particular resort areas and so forth. And I said, well, I wonder if people realize that we got this country of the North, they speak our same language. Right. And the, if the geographic beauty of Canada is unbelievable. And some of the cities that I've, that I've visited there, Toronto, you know, Montreal, you know, Vancouver, right, right. Uh, Quebec City. If you've ever been to Quebec City, it's like you're in Europe, you know, in, in, in France well, so somewhere. Well, Montreal. That, Montreal that is another very one. feels very European. Exactly. And you know, what's crazy is Toronto is only a 12-hour drive from St. Louis. There you go. Ever since I've learned that, I now want to go. Yeah, I, <laughs> like, I remember, yeah, I remember it was a four, like a four-hour or so drive from Detroit. Fa fabulous cities. And again, notwithstanding, you know, what's happened, you know, pandemic-related issues the last couple of years, Fabulous country. Uh, I've even been to Newfoundland, which probably most people are like, where in the heck is right, that? You know? Right, that's And that's like, like the, the north, far northeastern, right? you know. Yeah. And so there's so much beauty to Canada. So, I mean, if that, and I say that because that's an, I say, easy, it's, easier place it's to easier go. easier to go and you than don't Europe have any language, or Asia. Yeah, or, yeah you right. don't have any language barriers. And culturally, it's very, very similar. Yeah. Very cool. I, I, yeah. So I've never been to Quebec City. Yeah. I've been to Vancouver. I really like Vancouver. Yeah, it's like a San Francisco. Yeah, right, it's respect. absolutely great. It has a huge um, Chinatown yes, in Vancouver, does. which a lot of people don't That's know. That's right. Yeah. And the Canadian Rockies, for those that haven't been there, are spectacular. Uh, you know, some of the drives that I made in Nova Scotia, again, northeastern Canada, right. not quite as far as Newfoundland, just spectacular, just beautiful country. Very cool. And the other question I ask everyone is about kindness. So just, you know, you're a top of mind thought on kindness that you received, you you gave or witnessed. Um, there was some kindness that I've received. Uh, when I went to work uh, for this company alliance that I'm with right now, the owner of the company asked me to uh, op help operationalize a nonprofit that he'd had an idea about and, and another person in the past. So uh, I have been very instrumental in kind of bringing this nonprofit sort of to life. And it's called Community Value Alliance. And 
what's been rewarding for me personally is uh, I knew zero about nonprofits before I got into it. So yeah. it's been a great learning experience. Yeah, it's a whole a, other deal, isn't whole it? Whole other deal. I've had a great mentor, you know, for that, our executive director, Rachel Covington. And um, it's just been really rewarding to, to, to do that. And what's probably more unique about our nonprofit is that it's a nonprofit whose constituents are other nonprofits. So it's a very unique model. So so what we're trying to do is we're trying to strengthen the nonprofit community in and of itself, right? So as a saying like, okay, well, our constituents are, you know, people that are underserved in this racial community or that, or, you know, educate, it focuses on them. So we're trying to make them better in the end. Oh, that's awesome. And and so that's been, so maybe my act of kindness is, you know, being on this nonprofit and being able to help, you know, the nonprofit community. That's great. And that's so, that's like a huge necessary thing because it's really hard for nonprofits. And and St. Louis, we've got we are awesome, right? We're so we have philanthropic. A lot of we have a lot of them. Um, but, 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 you know, a lot of them cross over and are kind of doing the and, same thing. And that's thing. the problem, right? Yeah. Because, you know, so you have the, sort of this overlap, right? Right. And so one of the things that we're tr- we're doing is we're trying to work on, edu- again, education, again, education programs to educate the nonprofits, right? To have them kind of understand how they can be better. Because not, a lot of these nonprofits don't understand is that they're really a business, right? So it's a the, the vision then translates into the mission. Right. But then what we try to tell them is, okay, we're consultants for them. And a lot of the nonprofit education is really heavily focused around fundraising, right? But there's so many more facets to being in a nonprofit beyond that. And that's what we're, we're helping them with as well. I love it. That's awesome. Well, Jim, any parting thoughts? This has been, this is so education. Now I got to get your books. I feel like this need, I mean, and I'm not much of a book reader, but I'm like, I, I kind of well, need to well, know I, I have this. some of the stuff on audio too, if that's helpful. Oh, even better for me. I can listen to <laughs> the, it while the I'm last, in the car. The last nonfiction book is on audio. Now you will have to listen to my voice since I, I That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. You've got a good voice. I, I, I you was, have a voice I've been told for this. that I have a good voice. So yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Well, thank you so much for this bit of education today. I totally appreciate it. And hi, Facebook audience. Yeah, hi, Facebook. (laughs) All right. Well, you guys have been listening to Mishmash. Thank you so much. Be kind. Love you. Bye. Mm -hmm.